1: Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan
0: Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast, the Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to let you know. and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. What's up, guys? Nathan Chan here, CEO of Founder Magazine and host of the Founder Podcast. Hope you're all having a great day. I just want to say thanks so much for taking the time to share your earbuds with me. Uh, I really do appreciate it, and as always, uh, we've got just so much gold in store for you. All right, so let's talk about today's guest. His name's Ollie Gardner, and he's the co-founder of a company called Unbounce. Very, very large company. Uh, they have a, a landing page building tool, but what I really talked to Ollie about in this episode is everything conversion and everything conversion rate optimization and how do you get like a ridiculous conversion rate for when somebody comes to one of your landing pages a lot of people don't use landing pages believe it or not um so we talk about that and and why you should be and we also talk about like how do you increase your conversions uh to to get as like crap tons more leads because you know they say that the money's in the email list and especially if you have an online business and you need to be constantly you know building your email list building you know the amount of leads that you come f- have coming through for your business whether you have a product based business service based business it doesn't matter you always need more leads and Ollie's going to share with you how you can get more leads and how you can raise your conversions rapidly now Ollie has the Guinness World record of 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 reviewing the most landing pages ever or something crazy. This is a crazy, crazy dude. Uh, And, you know, for some of you guys, you may not be aware, but uh, at Founder, we are slowly, uh, just quietly developing a next-level course platform with, you know, ridiculous, ridiculous practitioners that these are legit startup founders that are teaching all sorts of different things that you guys have told us you want to learn. And uh, Ollie is actually one of our teachers and will be releasing his course very soon. Uh, so, if you would like to know more about how to you know, rapidly increase your conversion rate for your landing pages or your, any CRO, guys, conversion rate, like CRO stands for conversion rate optimization, by the way. Just go to founder.com forward slash list building and you can sign up to the wait list. That's founder, F-O-U-N-D-R.com forward slash list building. All right, guys. So if you are enjoying these episodes, please do take the time to leave us a review. It helps us more than you can imagine. And share these episodes with your friends. I know you must have other friends that are startup founders. We're here to help. We want to help as many people as we can. We want to build a household name, entrepreneurial brand at Founder. We're not there yet. We're far away, and we can only do it with your help. So please do share. Okay, enough rambling. That's it from me. Now let's jump to the show. The first uh, question that I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job?
1: How <laughs> did to get my job. Uh, yeah, many weird ways I've got jobs in the past, but this one, um, we have six co-founders and we've worked with each other in many different companies, other startups, little ventures, uh, on and off for like about the decade prior to Unbounds, and then Rick, our CEO, he had to, and we just finished me and Rick, we were just down in Costa Rica prior to that, working for a really, really, uh, sketchy online casino and we uh he had two ideas and kind of gathered a group of people we've met over the years there were about 12 of us to begin with we're just having dinner we're talking about things and riffing on these ideas and it it, you know it got smaller and smaller the group because some people aren't serious some are and we debated which idea would be best we we chose the right one (laughs) uh i i I have a vague recollection of the other one. It was some kind of dynamic ad-serving platform. I don't know. Um, like ad but, Express or something? I don't know. Like I think it was where you'd have an ad that would be somewhere on, on a site, but you could dynamically change the content, maybe. But I, I don't think anyone would approve that. It's not that like you get an ad, ad space on NBA.com, and then you're allowed to change it you know, whenever you want. Because <laughs> that shit needs to be approved, um, but I'm not sure if that was exactly it, but that's my recollection, but so then we decided, yeah, landing pages, we knew they were needed, we'd done some validation, and we whittled it down to five of us, and then not uh, with a sixth guy to help, but then we quickly realized he should be part of it too. so then yeah we we kicked things off with the uh, six co-founders, which is it's, it's
0: kind of strange. But it's worked out well. <laughs> yeah, amazing. And, um, you know, you talked about uh, validation. Like, uh, what what did you do to validate it?
1: Uh, kind of half of it was just the experiences we'd had. So I think someone said it well at our town hall the other day. Uh, Rick wanted to get... Landing pages built and Carl didn't want to build them for him. Carl's our CTO. So he was the CTO at Bodog, this gambling company we worked at prior to the other one. Um, five of the founders were there. And so Rick was creative director and led the creative team and Carl was a CTO and marketing needed landing pages. And it was always the tech team and it that had to build them. And they, they don't want to build that shit. You know, they, they want to build product. And so it was a giant headache. You know, there'd it, be a massive backlogs and delays and it would take weeks. And if you got something wrong, it would take days or more to get it fixed. So we knew that, and we'd worked at, you know, different people, different marketing teams and different companies. We'd seen it repeatedly. So that was the first part was just experiencing the pain. And then the second part was just when we began, uh, we ran some simple Facebook ads, just talking about the idea and the problem to see if people lean startup stuff, you know, see if people would click and express interest, and they did. And every marketer we talked to said, "Yes, I need that." So, you know, it was it was pretty clear. And there wasn't much out there doing that. Uh, landing pages were being talked about, but there was there were there's only one tool out there, which was Ion Interactive, and that was kind of enterprise. So there wasn't a self-serve market. So that's what we plugged into. Um, but then there was another competitor who started almost exactly the same time as us, Performable. And they eventually, they did a lot of stuff right. Um, but they they created like a markup language for their builder instead of being like a WYSIWYG kind of thing. So it was very difficult for people to embrace from a technical level. And they eventually pivoted to be a, an analytics company and, it got acquired by hubspot uh so we were kind of left alone for a while which is good and bad because you need competition to push you and
0: now we have a lot mm. interesting so um man you're your six co-founders like uh that's um uh, that's a pretty big starting uh starting team like uh to be, honest, I yeah, 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 to be honest, I've never like, uh, out of like, yeah, I've interviewed a lot of founders, man. Um, yeah. Never interviewed, uh, a team of six. I know it does exist. Right. But, uh, do you guys mm. have like, um, like they say, you know, uh, Paul Graham, they say that, uh, the, the magic number is three. I'm solo. I'm solo founder, but yeah. Uh, and they say solo founders always fail, but, um, yeah, let's say, say the magic number is three and you guys are six. Like, uh, you guys fight much or have much disagreements or, like, has it been tough that way? You know, not really. I can
1: see why three would be an ideal number because you need someone to step in between two people when there's an argument. But honestly, I mean, things get tougher over time. But for the first, like, four or five years, there were no disagre- – we, we didn't fight. There was None of that existed. And four of us are active still. Two have gone off and done something else, and um, on, on, on good terms, and still have their equity. And uh, no, I mean the great thing though at the beginning was that we could do anything. We had a really great mix of creative and technical, and a lot of overlap too. Everybody, we could fill, fulfill every role we needed as a startup, and didn't have to hire anyone for two years. So that was a big advantage from that standpoint. Obviously, when you get to the end, like if we get acquired or something. Then you're like, you know, we got diluted because there's six of us and we have some small investors, not large. We've raised less than a million Canadian, uh, which is like, that's equivalent to Australian dollars. But yeah, no, there's not, there weren't problems. I mean, obviously there are little disagreements here and there, but we've all kind of charted our own path, been responsible for our own corner of the company. And, and you know, when you grow, you become less and less. I, I'm, I'm the least operational of the four remaining founders, uh, cause I, you know, I primarily I'm, out as a public speaker and stuff like that. I don't manage people anymore. I'm just an individual contributor, which is good. It's good. It's good for me. I, I like that. I don't want to manage people. Um, and people are probably happy that I'm not
0: managing them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I, it's, it's hard. Hey, mm-hmm. so, uh, talk to me like what, what what is like you said um you used to be a public speaker
1: no that's what i do now
0: ah okay got you yeah that's like 50% of my time probably 40 50% of my time got you but you're predominantly like a a ux like your background's ux ui design like um that's your background right
1: yeah kind of all over the place i started as a coder like way back uh in like ninety-seven in London, I was working in the financial district as a C programmer. Um, and then because I accidentally stumbled into that through bad decision making when I did it in my university days. Um, but then I gradually moved throughout, you know, from back-end code to back-end web to front-end web, then uh interaction design, usability, then as a creative director. Um, and then became a marketer the day we started Unbounce because I'd never done it before. Uh, but I think the usability portion was a perfect lead-in to optimization, right? Because it's that's that's what it is. It just wasn't called optimization then, like conversion optimization. So and I'm very opinionated. So I think that also lent its <laughs> lent it, it to, you know, me playing that role as a marketer. So yeah, that's kind of how that began. And I'm glad I did the technical part at the beginning. It didn't make much sense at the time. I was kind of meandering around, but I'm so grateful for that now because I think the future of marketing, well, the future of marketers is technical marketers because they can build shit themselves. They don't have to rely on other people. Like my coding is good enough to get stuff done. It's not good enough to have a coder look at it and not, Laugh but, but you know if you're just trying to prove a concept or you build a little tool for markers or something, you know that that's all you need to kind of get some momentum.
0: Yeah, that's cool. So um, man, I can hear a little bit of an accent <laughs>
1: uh, where, 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 where do you Where are you picking up the signals from? What's the scent trail taking you to?
0: Um, is it Is it uh, Irish or Scottish? Scottish, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Uh, good, good, <laughs> nice one. Um, I was actually
1: born in the north of England. Uh, I'm a Geordie, Newcastle, but I moved to Scotland when I was ten. Yes. And so I then thing is, because I acquired a Scottish accent. Yes. I was then able to lose it. So now I'm kind of a mutt. Like I, I have this Scottish Canadian weird kind of thing going on. Um, I remember like one of my favorite uh, moments, which is absurd. Um, cause I didn't like it at the time when I moved to Scotland, some 10 and I show up at the primary school first day and it's in a little village. We were in this tiny village called Goldry. It's like 800 people. And there were like, hardly anyone in the school. And we go out to the playground at, you know, playtime. And this kid walks up to me and says, uh, are you the new English boy. Uh, and I said, Aye i said i which is good because we say that in, in, in north of england so at least i had that and in, in, you know it, that worked with the scottish kind of thing and i said i and he grabbed my hair uh, grabbing by the hair smashed my head off uh, a brick wall and said welcome to scotland <laughs> <laughs> uh, which i love now but at the time i'm like that's a bit harsh it's weird yeah, i had wow. such a I knew I was so naive. I mean, I was a kid, but I was so naive. I had this weird. <laughs> when I was a kid, I thought two things. I thought France was this just this big beach where people lived on tents, in tents. Uh, I, so I thought that's what would happen if you go to France. And then I thought, when I got to Scotland, that they, for some reason, wouldn't know. They'd be terrible at football, like soccer. Uh, so I wasn't any good. But so I, I show up. And this kid, we we start talking. He's like, uh, "Do you play uh, football?" And I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "Where'd you play?" And I'm like, "Center forward, striker." Just making shit up. And he's like, "All right." So we go out to the local shop, and he and the shop owner ran the school team. And he said, "We got a new player." And so they put me up front, playing these games, and I was fucking terrible. Like I scored one goal accidentally with my knee, and it was offside. and then they kicked me off the team it was
0: (laughs) oh wow man wasn't the smoothest introduction to Scottish culture (laughs) yeah there you go that would have been rough but fine yeah awesome so um we're coming back like uh you started unbounce uh about eight years ago yeah
1: 2009 august
0: 14th awesome and um, how, like, how, how did, how did you guys get traction? So you said you validated it. What happened next? You said you were kind of the marketer, um, what happened next?
1: Uh, so we, you know, we started building the product and, uh, so I, I started a blog. I put a website up in the first few days Then I started a blog about seven days in. So I was blogging like seven months before the product was launched so that we could build some traction. And back then, like we were some of the first, one of the, among the first companies doing content marketing back then. So it was easier to stand out from that perspective. And I just, I just went crazy on, on content creation. And so that, and then, you know, I I wrote an ebook so that we could do some lead gen. So that by the time six, seven months rolled around, we'd have a list. It wasn't huge. It was like 1200 people, but at least we'd have someone to contact and say hey we've launched this thing you know that i've been talking about blah 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 and uh we i think there were two kind of really good things that pushed us forward at the beginning they were on the technical and the content side so on a technical side we integrated with mailchimp you know people doing lead gen landing pages you you send your leads through to, you know, any email or CRM or Salesforce, whatever we have all of the, the big integrations now. But back then we chose MailChimp because they were similar from a brand perspective. Like, you know, we, we uh, yeah, I agree. We like, like, you know, we liked them as a company. And at the time it was the right level, kind of their side, they were bigger than us, but not hugely. They weren't, hadn't got to where they are now. And it, it made sense. So that was our first one. We came to that fairly quickly, but the way we kind of ordered our integrations, um, and integrations, if you have any kind of tech, like integrations are so key because, it, you know, and I hate the term sticky, but it makes you more sticky because the more tools people connect together, the less likely they are to disconnect them. And so what we did was we put this, this Had this brainstorm, we filled a wall full of stickies of all of the tech companies out there that we could possibly integrate with from tiny to massive. And we would we researched using Alexa and compete.com like back then. And we based on traffic, them to us, we gave them an X. So Salesforce was like 400 times us in terms of traffic. MailChimp was 3X. Uh, this other company might be 0.5X. So we'd have this landscape of how big they were compared to us. And we ignored the top and the very bottom because the, the ones at the top, obviously you're like, oh, we want to like partner with them, but they don't give a fuck, right? They're 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 not going to put the effort into co market with you because they got better things to do, um, and also they have a massive list and you have a tiny list. So we chose ones that were some a little smaller, but mainly just a little bit bigger than us, and that really that really helped from the co marketing standpoint. There may have been other tools that would have been more useful to potential customers. But you have to weigh that up, like because co-marketing at the time was really important in terms of getting new audiences. And then, so that was on that side. But then on the content side, so I was—I mean, I've written 300 plus blog posts about landing pages, which oh, is, wow, yeah. And that was—I stopped writing about it like two and a half years ago. But it was just kind of absurd. But <laughs> but it really—it. I mean, you can look at Google Trends uh, for the term landing page, landing pages. And it's basically when I started writing in 2009, it's just like, and it's, uh, but then I, because we're new, I had to do a lot of guest blogging to get onto, into bigger communities. So I jumped on the Moz community cause it was so epic back then. And they, and they had the UMOS model. So you could, anyone could blog on UMOS and if it got picked up, it was, people liked it. They moved it to the main blog and then it goes crazy cause it was so big. So I wrote an initial post there, the 12-step landing page rehab program, uh, which was a fun kind of post. It, it had like a, not an infographic, but a diagrammatic kind of element to it as well. And it did really well. So Rand asked me to come back. He said, are you going to write again? And I said, yeah, and this time it's going to be epic because actually this something that I found personally successful is telling people what I'm going to do, like, like putting that peer pressure purposefully on myself because when you say you're going to do something, if you don't, you feel like an idiot. So I find that is good at generating the right kind of pressure. So I wrote this 15,000 word, 15 million pixel infographic blog post and called the new guide to online marketing, which was a self-referential guide to how to become a marketer, like basically zero to hero because I hadn't done it before. So I was kind of telling my own journey in written and visual form. Um and I think that's why and it, it smashed every record on Moz for three years. And in terms of likes, comments, shares, everything. Like it was shared, oh, I don't know, an absurd amount of times, maybe a million. Like in terms of total views, absurd. And like downloads of eBooks for, and I, like because I did it in PDF format as well. It was, and it's been translated into about 12 languages. I'd get, we get photos of people because it was a six foot poster where if you printed it out yeah, wow. and people, people would have it on their walls and send photos in and it was, it was amazing, but it, it took a long time. It took me, you know, on and off probably two or three months, like doing it a, a portion of, you know, my time. Uh, and Rand when I submitted, he's like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> Why would you give that to us? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you should put on but, you should put on unbounds.
1: Well, that's what he he was saying, are you sure? And I was like, Yeah, because your community is massive and ours is just beginning. If I put it on our blog, no one will see it by comparison. So, you know, and then two years later I said, Hey, can I repost it on ours? He's like, Of course you can. Um, I always like to ask if I've done a guest post. And so I did it, I put it on ours, and you know, we get we got some traffic from that. So that was, that was a huge awareness piece. So th- those two things, the technical product side and then on the content side, that's kind of really what gave us our first launched kind of break.
0: Yeah, got you. And fast forward to now, like, uh, like uh, yeah, we share around traction and like how big you guys are because um, like you guys are you know, one of the biggest landing page builders in, in the space and, and you've really carved out a really distinct offering as well.
1: Yeah, we're, uh, like, we're about 170 people, mostly, like, almost everybody's in Vancouver, Canada, and we have a small team in Berlin. They they mainly do kind of customer support, some local marketing and sales, um, so that we can, you know, be in that time zone for support and, you know, extend our time zone reach for support and things like that. Um, We're around, I'm forgetting numbers, we're around 20 million annual revenue. Um somewhere around there. But uh yeah, it's been a it's been a pretty crazy journey. Now now we're in the the part of like, okay, now we're actually a, a mature company. Yeah, you don't get to say startup anymore. You say mm-hmm. startup for years. And then you're like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah. I remember we got we um we won a startup award uh twice
0: mm.
1: like two years back to back in Vancouver and people were so pissed off the second year oh really they're like, yeah they're like come on these guys again and they're like we were still a startup but, but like I understood their reaction they're like you win once go away like-
0: <laughs> yeah yeah wow so man that's interesting you guys don't consider yourself a startup like you still have that culture and feel though in the in, in- oh yeah for sure um, and I don't know what
1: other people think, you know, you could ask, uh, 160 people here and you'd get a hundred Well, you'd get 80 different answers. Some would say yes. Someone say no. <laughs> so in some respects we are, but I think we have, once you get to a certain point, you have to not look at yourself that way. You have to start looking at, um, operating in a different way, thinking in a different way, because uh, at a certain point, you're not you know, you have like a big growth period and then, you know, things calm down a little bit and then you have to work on like, how do we get our, you know, call the second camel hump. How do we work on getting to that? And how do we become a a very secure, safe, uh, safe kind of business where we, our employees love coming to work. And, you know, cause there's a, as an entrepreneur, there's a mix of crazy and calm. And I like chaos personally, but that's not for everyone. You know, some people like structure and security, and so you have to cater to the two different kinds of people when you have a team that size, cause not everybody wants to be in the, I don't know, the more risky side of things. You have to
0: kind of, you have to work with people in different ways and consider them in different, in different ways. Mm, yeah, no, I agree. So, you know, fast forward uh, to now, we recently uh, shot a course with you around mm-hmm. uh, basically CRO. Um, yeah, and uh, really, really excited. As as I said offline, um, I, I I'm just so excited because uh, yeah, we shot it. We we've got a backlog of, of all these courses. We're launching twelve this year, and and I just can't wait to go through yours to myself and and get our team to go through it because we're we're massive on. On CRO and 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 just just increasing our conversion. So, mm-hmm. man, I'm really excited to go through it and, and also share it with our community. I know so many of you guys that are listening right now, you're gonna love it. It's it, yeah, it's, Ollie's an absolute beast. But um, I want to talk some technical stuff around yep. conversion, landing pages, design, but. Do you have like some sort of record for like is it is it a Guinness record or around how seeing the most landing pages is that true man or is that just a thing No,
1: it's it's a large number. You know, it's probably. I mean, it, it was my tagline for a while. It still is kind of like I've seen more landing pages than anyone on the planet. Uh, probably around you know the hundred thousand mark, but you know a lot of that was early on. But what I did was because I was writing a lot of landing page critique posts because they uh, people loved them. Uh, they were great for uh, inbound, like for search. They were excellent because people want to be inspired, so they look for landing page examples. So I wrote a lot about that, a lot of critique and suggestion about how to make them better and that kind of thing. And it was and it was very opinionated and sometimes funny kind of stuff. And I think that led to some of you know people wanted me to speak later on. But so to do that though, because the hardest part about anything like that is gathering the examples. You serendipitously stumble across some that are awesome or terrible, but for the, it, but it's not easy. So what I did basically, I had our tech team, someone in IT, every now, every like every month, I'd say, hey, can you just like give me a giant dump of screenshots of our customers' pages? And I just sit there and click through three thousand at a time, just going blah, 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 like horrendous, monotonous work. But it's what I needed to do to gather the content. Um, so that's that's kind of how I initially I came up, I, I saw that huge number of pages and now it's, you know, it's a combo of research and just, uh, stumbling up across things, but yeah, no, no official records. I remember, I think I told, I think I told, uh, Nate this in, in New York, um, that I was one of my first gigs. It was in Berlin and the guy introing me said, so this guy claims to have seen the most line of pages of anyone on the planet. I'm like, okay, you got that right, and the, and then he goes, but I'm not sure. I've seen quite a lot myself. I'm like, way to discredit me right before I hit the stage,
0: you asshole. Yeah, that's a good way to set the scene, hey.
1: <laughs> but yeah, no, I've, I've I've literally no idea whether it's the case or not. But I'd be very surprised if anyone's gone through that same experience.
0: Yeah, gotcha. So one thing, um. Zach tells me is, is, uh, and when we talk about in the courses, you hate shitty design. Tell us about Mm -hmm. like that. And, 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 and why, why do you like, cause you know, we have found like we're very, very big on design and we test, um, so many different pages and, Mm -hmm. and we find that like for our brand, the better design always out converts like simple landing pages, like super minimal, always for some reason the shorter form ones seem to convert better uh, and also when we make them awesome design um, like just really really solid design but yeah I'd love to hear your thoughts why like because because there are a lot of shitty design landing pages out there why is that important
1: yeah and it's 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 like one of the first things I said in my very first talk I did like five four years ago was 98 percent of landing pages suck um, and that was based on a little study I did just based on clicking hundreds of ads and seeing what the resulting uh, experience was. Um, and, and there's just so many people get it wrong and it's good for me because if they didn't, I wouldn't have a job, but it's, I, I'm just, I'm a very critical person. So I, I am very, I observe things and complain about things and try to fix things constantly. Like everything, every experience I have in the, in the real world, online, I'm like, I get frustrated and a little bit angry sometimes. And I want to find ways of fixing. It. I love MacGyvering. I love like, well, what can I, what can I grab from the room right now to make this thing better? Uh, so a lot of it's born out of that. And I think for those around me, it probably comes off across as negativity sometimes, but it's not. It's frustration and it's a desire to make things better. And I, I get frustrated when people make silly mistakes, like sending, you know, traffic from a paid ad. To your homepage. It's just a stupid thing to do. Um, and I say that not trying to sell the concept of landing pages, but just because it's a better way of doing marketing. And from a a conversion standpoint, I, I love doing the research, looking at the data, looking at recordings, doing usability tests to spot where people are going wrong and, and then try and design experiences like little micro experiences that change on page behavior. Because when you can get some success with changing behavior, it's an amazing feeling, and you it accelerates your growth as a marketer, as an optimizer. When you can learn to do it like that, and I cover a lot of that stuff in the course. Uh, but yeah, and, I, and I'm a design geek. You know, I spend a lot of time on my slides. I, I'm I'm a big fan. I I just I consider my slides very important. Some speakers don't, because uh, they they're more just about themselves. Um, and not as visually communicative and some just suck at it and have horrible slides but i i love to create a visual experience for people when i speak so i spend a lot of time doing that and because i think it's important because design it, it's really important it matters it changes how we feel it, you know if you go through a day and you suffer through 20 bad interactions because of poor design that's frustrating Conversely, if you have a whole bunch of positive experiences, either you'll not notice it because it was that good or smooth, or you'll be delighted by it. And you know, it's and it's the small things. Because you ha, you have one thing wrong, it's not usually a big deal. You have 20 things wrong on a page or in, on a website, that that is a big deal. And you know, you, you talk about like short form pages and with very clean design. There, you know, people have said in the past, yeah, ugly websites convert better, or no. That's total horseshit. If an ugly site converted, A, it didn't convert better than a well-designed site because you don't have that. All you have is your shitty version. But the reason it might convert is because when there's not an emphasis on design, there's usually an emphasis on copywriting. And copywriting is more persuasive than, than anything else, typically. Um, if you then took that further and combined it with excellent design, it would probably do even better. So, and it depends on what your brand is and how important visuals are. Uh, you know, if you're a high-end brand, if, you're, if it's fashion or something like that, you know, there's different levels of requirement and necessity from design. But at the end of the day, I mean, design is way more than just the visual. It's, it's, it's the interaction.
0: Mm, and it's how it feels. Just,
1: yeah. And, like, you know, when I was coming, uh, we have these webinar rooms as I was coming from the, the hallway with the elevators into here, you know, we got a glass door stand-up thing with a little beeper thing to scan your card. And I'm carrying a can of monster and my laptop, and I'm trying to, you know, scoot my hip up to make it beep as I walk to open it. Cause I don't have a free hand and it's, it's in the wrong place. It's like eight inches too high. I'm kind of jumping in the air. And then I finally stumble my way in. The door closes on me, knocks my drink out of my hand, goes all over the floor. <laughs> and You know, there's things like that because someone was just, they weren't, they weren't thinking when they made these design decisions. Like when you go into a bathroom stall, uh, let's say it's a, an accessible one for a wheelchair and the, the toilet paper, the holder, is two feet off or a foot off the ground I'm like, there's nobody ever going in there that needs it to be that far. That's hard for everyone. You're reaching down. It's all touching the floor. It's stupid mistakes. That's the stuff that annoys me because they don't consider. They have no empathy. For the person who's actually gonna use it. They make decisions based on their assumptions.
0: And it's I don't know. I, I complain <laughs> a lot about bathrooms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. So so basically, you know, um, I got a good story. So and I think this is a really good one. Um, so when I first started the magazine, this is like four years ago, um basically I, I got the first version knocked up by another designer and didn't pay much cause it didn't have any money at the time. And, and it was just, it was just a passion project. Right. And, uh, and then what happened was I was, I, I met this other designer who was just absolutely incredible. And, uh, his name was Karan, and, uh, he, he goes to me, you know, I showed him what we, what we created and I said, Oh, look, maybe we'll work with you for the second uh, issue of the magazine. And, and uh, we'll get you to do a, do all the branding then. And, and, you know, and uh, he's like, he's like, you could, but from my experience, investing in design uh, really pays its weight in gold in terms of returns over a long period of time. And he's like, I highly recommend that um, you let me do the branding ID now. And and that's what we launch with and that's what we start with. And um, you know, at the time, like, I didn't really have the money, and it was—it was—he like it was a, quite a lot more that I was going to pay compared to what I had with the first issue. But I just copped it, and it was probably one of the best decisions that I made because I believe that to be very, very true. Like people can and do look at your brand or your startup or your business and a form of USP can be design. I know it's not powerful, but it definitely can be a form of USP. And if you can give people a great experience of where they get excited um, just by looking at your site and just like, wow, um, that's extremely powerful. Um, And people will judge the validity of your brand and company on your design, Even, even if they're not thinking that. Like great design is expected it's i believe it's a commodity now um that that if you if you have a startup like you know you look at all the top startups right they all have exceptional design it's just just it's just something that is required now Um, i'd love to hear your thoughts and take on that Uh, you're you're 100 right and especially
1: when you are in a competitive landscape because you know behavior changes because people are impatient. So like one way people will search, they'll search for landing page software or something. And because the entire above the fold experience now is paid ads on Google, often they go, oh yeah, that first one two, Yeah, that's about landing pages. They'll put their finger on the command or the control key, whatever on the keyboard and then go click, 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 click and just open up all the ads and maybe the first organic result in tabs. And then they'll quickly go through them, comparison shopping mode and go like, Uh, that's not what I asked for. That's not what I asked for. That looks terrible. That looks amazing. You know, and they'll make these snap judgments and design plays a big part in that design and clarity. Like if you can communicate really quickly, you have a great headline that really describes you and your benefit and all that kind of stuff. That coupled with great design will win over the others because people don't spend that much time. Now they will get more considerate when they get closer to buying, then they'll probably recheck out some of the competition. But you know, if you were the one that they paid most attention to at the beginning because of some of those aspects, you're definitely going to have an advantage. And yeah, there's a few things that I, when I when I go looking for to buy something and I find a company, uh, there's a couple of things I do. First of all, first thing I'll go, I give it software. Typically, I will scroll to the bottom. If I can't see at the top and I'll look for an about us page. I want to see their faces. I want to see the team. I want to see the address where their office is,
0: because
1: then I, I, I just believe they're a real company. Then I want to see the people behind it. I don't want to see some shell company, some invisible. Uh, I I just don't trust it when I I can't see that human side of it. And that, that kind of thing is important to me. And I think it's important to other people that might not go through that kind of level. But I know from listening to our customers and our customer success team, that that stuff, that's one of our biggest competitive advantages is our support and how amazing they are and how helpful and transparent and caring they are. So it's always the human side that is a big, is is really important because you may sign up for several things, but you'll stay with the, the company who actually looks after you and, you know, um, so, yeah, and then that, that becomes a big part of your brand there. and That's really hard to overtake. Software can be written quickly these days. You can compete from a technical perspective in, in many ways. You know, a SaaS business, the, the business model is mature now. You can you can rock up a SaaS business pretty quickly. You know, you need a website. You need um, a payment processing. You need a pricing page, a blog, a homepage, features page about us. You, there's a lot of stuff you can rock up really quickly. So then the differentiator becomes experience and support and, and that kind of thing. So it, just getting a sign up isn't enough. You have to be willing to treat your customers differently from everybody else.
0: Mm, yeah. Amazing. And can you talk to me about the clarity? Like you talked about like clarity, clarity equation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I part of like looking at all these bad landing pages I was like
1: okay well let's look at some good ones and I reverse engineered what I considered to be a good above the fold experience something that uh, from a, a headline a written perspective and from a visual perspective delivered the value prop really quickly and really clearly and then used wrote this equation after reverse engineering these these portions of it and then created Kind of an interactive calculator that goes with it. So there are exercises you can go through to score yourself on this seven part uh, scale as part of this equation that help you understand where you should and shouldn't be optimizing because you'll see quickly by going through these exercises, oh, I'm doing really well on this aspect. Uh, I'm not doing so well here. You know, on immediacy, I'm failing. On, uh, I have a hyperbole problem. Uh, distraction, I'm doing great. Let's like, how many distracting links or whatever. Uh, visual identification is a part it's like if you take your hero image the main image on your page and you look at it in isolation and you ask people what does our product or service do if they can't answer then you've got meaningless content it's you have an image that doesn't represent you it isn't adding to the clarity it's probably removing clarity from that experience so in that short period of time people might be going i don't I don't really get what you do. So the more you dig into this, the the, fi- the little fine details of what produces clarity, the the more quickly you can solve those problems and kind of get yourself up to the level where you are you give yourself an advantage when people are impatient and you know comparison shopping.
0: Mm, yeah i see it's yeah it just comes back to that level of simplicity we've found this too like mm-hmm. like people think that that you know the the best landing pages or that sometimes anything that you do when it comes to the tech is just super complicated stuff but as time has gone on man everything we do I, i'm just all about simplicity and just keeping things nice and simple like that's so key because it's easy because there's so many tools there's so many things you can do there's so many ways you can spin it and Man, it's all about just, just, just having nice simplicity things, like, like just very clear. Yeah, because people don't have any time. They don't have time to put up your bullshit or whatever
1: version of how be, being clever you feel. Being clever uh, is for marketing campaigns. It's not for your main value prop. It's, you know, clarity is, is kind of where it's at, at least so people go, ah, I'm in the right place. You're delivering on what you promised in your ad or your tweet or your email, now I'm confident that you can probably solve my problem. I'll explore, I'll scroll, I'll click through other pages or or what have you. Um, but you have to give that immediate sense of confidence that you're, you're delivering what you're promising.
0: Mm. And attention is so scarce too. So like when you get that person's attention, like it can it can go pretty fast too.
1: Yeah. And and you know, that's why sending, you know, campaign traffic to a homepage is a bad idea because, A, there's all these distractions that make it more complex to figure out if it's the right thing, but also you're giving people, you're you're actually offering up ways of getting away from what you're trying to get people to do. Like, oh yeah, you can click through all these links, you can go to these different pages, uh, which people might need to do as their deeper research after they've been convinced that you have something cool, which you do that with the landing page, you're like, yeah. It confirms that you have this thing and you describe it like, yeah, I'm into this and I may do further research. I'll go to your website to sign up or whatever. But in that first instance, you're just inviting people to wander off somewhere else, get distracted and go, "Eh, "Okay, this is too much work and and leave. And, you know, they might not find their way back to you if they didn't have a strong enough experience. They might just next time they're in the mood for searching for a solution, they'll, they'll search again and they might find someone else. So, you know, it's like um, an example, an e commerce example uh, I sometimes mention is I was looking for same day flower delivery because I wanted to send flowers to my mom in uh, Scotland. So I was searching UK places, UK same day flower delivery. And I, I went through eight different websites and, and they all promised it in their ads. And then when I got there, not a single one had anywhere, and it was all pages, had anywhere on their site, same day delivery. They all said next day delivery. So, A, that wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't what they promised. But also, if next day was okay in that moment, I'd be like, oh, next day. Okay. Uh, so, maybe, uh, no, hang on. No, no, I wanted, yeah, reverse that. I wanted next day. Yep. It, was a, it was a Friday. I wanted it on the Saturday. So now if I see them all saying same day delivery, sorry, I got completely backwards, they weren't saying next day on the website. They were saying same day. So I was like, oh, not so much of a hurry. I'll come back tomorrow and I'll do it then because they're not showing me next day. They're showing me same day. Problem there is when you come back the next day, you've changed my search. Previously, I was searching for next day. Now I'm going to search for same day. And now I might find a competitor because they're bidding on different, and I'm going to see different ads. So you lost me by, by not putting me in the right place, providing the right experience. So it's, you know, if you don't, because people put out just ads on anything, they'll bid on stuff and, and and you show up and they just don't have it. Or it's really, they have to, you have to work so hard to get the
0: thing they were actually advertising. Mm. And yeah, it's just a bad experience. So if you are a physical product business right now, um, and you know, you've got a catalog of products, how do you, and you know, you know, usually when people buy, they come to your, you know, your site Mm -hmm. and they, and they kind of explore if you were buying traffic, um, and, and and you, you know, you, you want to increase sales and get a return, um, would you recommend to set up a landing page with a suite of products for certain categories or or how, how would you, yeah, what are your thoughts there?
1: E-commerce is different. Um, you know, for other things like SaaS or software, anything like that, landing pages are the best thing as that initial touch point for e-commerce a little different. If you are bidding on a product, then just send them through to the product page of your website because it's an e-commerce experience that people are familiar with. You're still delivering the product you were saying you have. So that's still a good experience because people are familiar with how to shop. Um, if it's a category, you can send them to the category page. That's also okay. Just don't like uh, so many times, like just go, people out there, just go do it. You search for red shoes, you'll get a link that says red shoes, and it takes you to like a, a generic homepage with like shirts and, and sweaters or something, or they'll search, take you to a page full of blue shoes. It's the, that kind of thing is wrong, but sending people to a category or specifically a product page, that's okay. If you're running a campaign though, with let's say a discount like 60% off, our entire inventory for like this weekend that needs a landing page because then you confirm yes this discount exists here's your code here's all this kind of stuff then push them through um maybe with some categories of like here it is and like and then click through based on the category you want and we'll pass this this discount through that's smart marketing um but yeah so I'm not in the business of saying that use a landing page for everything no there's for most things but not for everything and Something I like as well, uh, when you come to e-com sites, it's very common that they'll, they'll show you a pop-up right away with a discount. Now, pop-ups are usually annoying. We, we have pop-ups as part of our platform now. But if done right, they're excellent. And for e-com, typically, that's what happens when you show up. it will be like, yeah, 10% off, 15% off. It's a little too aggressive, though, because I haven't looked around. I haven't done anything yet. Um, but I might be interested in it. So there was a new kind of interaction method I was proposing back in January. I was doing a lot of writing again and that called like an idea called maybe later. So when, when you show up and that, that discounts there, you're like, get, get out of my way. I don't I'm not You know, it's too much, but I am interested in the offer. So it's like, instead of like the yes, no, like, no, the thing closes and I don't get it again. Yes, it's too soon for that. Having a third option that maybe later, where the pop-up would close and then a sticky bar would appear that follows you around the site. it's very subtle and it just it has that offer for you for when you're ready to use it. so it's it. you know just changing how we use technology to help people uh, and we can create better experiences that way when we kind of actually
0: consider how they might best use it.: Yeah, man, that sounds like a sick feature. I like it.
1: Yeah, um, you know, it's uh, it, I whipped it up like as an exercise, this demo and this, this blog post I was doing. It's You know, it needs a little bit of custom code and stuff, but I think it's a pretty cool experience.
0: Mm, yeah, I agree. Awesome, man. Well, look, dude, we can talk all day, but we have to work towards um, wrapping up. And, and as I said, I'm really pumped about our course that uh, we've done together for Founder. And, um, mm-hmm. and like Zach said, you guys absolutely crushed it. And, and I helped him work on uh, – or the course outline. And like I said, I'm looking forward to putting our whole team through it. And, um, man, like I'm just curious where just, just wrapping up, like what's next for you? Um, two last questions. One, one Mm -hmm. is what's next for you. And, and, uh, second one is, is where's the best place people can find out more about yourself and your work.
1: What's next is I'm kind of working on a really big R&D project uh, it's like pretty advanced content marketing because content marketing is how we got our start. Uh, but everyone does it now so that it's becoming harder and harder to be effective. And we need to be able to, especially if you're a product, you need to be able to show your product in your content, but not do it in a salesy way. So I'm trying to build an advanced content marketing framework where it's, it's designed on the aha moments of your customers. So you create experiences that will accelerate their path to those moments. So instead of just like, we have a product, it's using interactive content, which lets people choose their own adventure, walk through your content in a, in a kind of gamified or fun way. But as they do that, they self-identify, they leave context trails, which allow you to personalize the experience give them these moments, whether it's in media, like video or an image that you change in the moment to get them closer to those aha moments that you've identified by talking to your sales team. There are five main ones I'm working on for our own version of this. So that's kind of, that's what I'm going to be talking about mainly when I
0: speak this year. It's a, it's a massive project, but I'm really excited about it. It's a, uh, yeah. Yeah. Amazing, man. Awesome. Yeah. It sounds awesome. I look forward to seeing it. And, um, when, where, or when can people find out more about that?
1: Uh, <laughs> TB, TBD is, it's, it's, I feel terrible. You said it it's now. A, <laughs> yeah. It's such a big project. I've spoken twice recently where I was supposed to talk about that and I had to change it last minute cause it's just not ready, but I will be speaking about it in Minneapolis in three weeks and then Chicago right after that. And then MozCon in July and CTA Conc in Vancouver, our conference in August, yeah. um, but yeah, so I think you know Twitter, Ollie Gardner is the is my preferred hangout, and then as we get closer to those times, I am I imagine I'll be putting a lot more content on
0: the blog to to really explore this concept. Awesome. So unbounce.com.
1: Mm hmm.
0: Awesome. Well, man, um, look, I just want to say thank you so much for your time. It was an absolute pleasure, man. And uh, yeah, I wish we could speak, keep speaking, but we've got to wrap. <laughs>
1: Yeah, my pleasure, man. It was great being on, and I will see you in Barcelona.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, dude. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Grenna Van Reel